And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your host, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 142. By the time you hear this, one of three things will have happened. Joe Biden will have won by a landslide. Um, we won't know what the fuck is going on, and there'll be anarchy and civil unrest. Uh, those are the only two that I'm, I'm going with. We're not, hopefully by the time you hear this, there's no way that Trump has won uh, the election. But who knows? So it's fun to do these like time capsules of, I have no idea how the world will be right. on Thursday when you hear this. But uh, as of today, uh, we are still here. We are the Dead Bod Rap Pod. My name is Damone Carter, AKA Dim One. I am joined by the almighty, most honorable David Ma. How's it going, man? Yo, what's up, Damone? Uh, really good to be back. I've, uh, you know, yeah. been on, I've been on sabbatical for, uh, for about three episodes. I wish I could say that I was doing some cool ass shit, but um, I wasn't. I, um, I, I actually had a medical procedure done. So, you know, mm. keep, keep, keeping it very real with the uh, dad bod aesthetic. I mean, you know, uh, 40 is nothing to fuck with. So, mm. um, you know, so that's why I was gone. But it's really good to be back. Um, you and Nate certainly held it down. I love those episodes. Yeah, man. Thank you for, uh, for, for peeping it. And it's, it's not the same when me and Nate are arguing and you aren't there to look both directions. <laughs> like, really, really, really? Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Uh, yeah, man. We're, we're, we're happy to have you back. Um, the world's crazy. Rap is crazy. Totally. We, we, totally. We've got a crazy interview lined up for you guys. But I wanted, to, I wanted to ask Dave, and I hope you haven't been in your recovery mode scrolling Twitter too much, <laughs> but um, it's been an interesting kind of last couple of weeks for rappers, man. There's a bunch of rappers who, who fuck with Donald Trump. This right, has been like, right, fanta right. not fantastic, but just like in a way, oddly amazing to me. So I guess Lil Wayne had a meeting with Donald Trump. Um, Waka Flocka, who I know you're a big fan of, uh, <laughs> has, has has come out in support of Donald Trump and there was a whole misadventure with, with Ice Cube as well. Um, I, I, let me ask you this. As a fan from back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. As a head from, from the 90s, uh, do you think that in some ways, like rappers still identify with Donald Trump like they used to do back in the day? Because Donald I, Trump gets name-checked a lot in like totally. 90s rap. He does. He does. And I, and I think especially with those songs, um, he, you know, he, he's the villain in those songs. He's the man, you know, he, he, right. he, so he's villainized in those tracks. But I think um, to, 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 sort of, to sort of address your question, I mean, with, with all these misadventures, with all these rappers, it's, it's, it's abundantly clear that people just fucking vote their tax bracket, whether, whether you're a little, yeah, you know, whether you're, the, um, you know, the rapper down the street who, 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 you know, talks about hood tales about how poor you are, but dog, as, as soon as you're in that tax bracket, you're voting Trump. And, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things where like, I'm mad at myself for getting mad. Like I shouldn't be disappointed like, to, to know yeah. that fucking little Wayne is fucking doing that. Like, 
you know, and it, and it, it's just further, it's just further proof that we should not look at rap, look to rappers for anything else besides their music. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been interesting to uh, to see that dynamic that you're talking about in terms of like uh, rich rich rappers, uh, black capitalists of the highest yeah, yeah. order, kind of aligning yeah. themselves, and not all of them, but there's there's a, a contingent that that definitely do, and it's it's while it's disappointing and sad, I think your point is well taken and something that I have been struggling to like separate i think for me it's like when jay-z started working with the nfl mm -hmm. um jay-z has always had a complicated you know uh kind of relationship between activism and kind of his class right. status right. um the nfl thing kind of broke it open for me where i'm like okay i see what you're really about at the end of the day right but um it's really interesting because i think rap is I don't know, maybe I'm being old school, but I think rap is supposed to be anti-establishment. And, exactly. and not that Joe Biden isn't the establishment, but I'm just saying Trump is like the antithesis, the big greasy wart of the establishment. I just feel like in the rappers of the 80s and 90s would never do that. Was there a rapper that was rocking with Reagan? I mean, am I, am I crazy, Dave? No, am I crazy? No, you're not. And especially during, you know, during like the late 80s, early 90s, you know, we had rappers like Paris, you know, yeah. uh, you know, who are in your face, who are, you know, obviously PE and all that. But mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's really strange, man. These, these are really strange times. I mean, they're uh, obviously they're, they're black capitalists, you know, yeah. it, it's just really hard because I mean, hip hop is, has always been an art form that, um, that punches up, you know, it punches up for the marginalized. And so, you know, you have fucking Trump, who's a misogynist racist. I mean, I can't believe any, any person of color would even give a fuck about Trump. You know what I mean? Let alone, let alone support him. So, so when you see Ice Cube, the guy who's, who says, fuck the police, um, but now is working with the dude who is for Black Lives Matter, uh, Blue Lives Matter, right. it's, it's certainly a stark difference. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one thing if... Uh, I don't know. Uh, pick a lame white rapper who you wouldn't be. Surprised. Machine Gun Kelly can support right. Trump, right? Totally. Yeah. We'd be like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? yeah. But fucking Ice Cube, Jesus. Oh, I, I know. You know, like so. You know, I, I I know it's a little bit more complex than that. I mean, that he just wanted to be at the table and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's not being at the table. You go to the table and flip the fucking table. You know. And, yeah, yeah. Fuck that table. Fuck yeah. tables that Donald Trump is is sitting at, at those <laughs> tables. Um, so you know, we we are trying to soothe our 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 disappointment about where kind of rappers are showing up. But I will say this, and I and I don't know if these two things are connected, but I think they are. Um, it's all black male rappers. Right. And I think that's an important thing because Trump actually has a small but significant um, part of his base are black male voters. So his, I think it's part of this whole strategy aligning himself with these different rappers. Um, oh, here's here's a trash rapper that aligned himself with them, Little Pump. Oh, I don't right. mind Little Pump. Yeah, being if, a part it, of Trump. Pump if for anything, Trump. it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. get the fuck yeah. out of here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they probably do about the same amount of drugs. So uh, yeah, so we're we're 
on the precipice of a, a crazy election. Right. Uh, shout out to all of our to all of our uh, UK uh, and Canadian listeners. We're number twenty seven music interview podcast in Canada, bro. Damn, dude! Like the second we get to twenty five, it's on, dog. It's 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 a wrap. <laughs> we'll, we'll be doing Drake in no time. Um, shout out to our international folks. Um, sometimes people will hit hit me up on my on my Twitter from the UK and be like, "What the fuck's going on?" I yeah. don't know. Totally, but, totally. Yeah. But shit is yeah. wild. Um, we're getting through it though. We have another dope interview lined up for y'all today. Um, I would call him a friend of the program. Fat I would Tony. think so too. Yeah, Fat Tony came on. Big fan of Tony's. Big fan of Tony's. He's a, he's the type of dude that like his next record will be a, a post punk record or something, and it'll be dope. You know what I mean? Like he. <sighs> He, he, he gets categorized in rap because he raps, but I mean, his, his music, I mean, he can sing, um, yeah. his videos are dope. I think he has a good aesthetic and, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm always down for it. It's like, when you get a Fat Tony record, you get a Fat Tony record. You don't get Fat Tony doing anything else besides Fat Tony. And, and, um, and, and I, I always respect that. His aesthetic is so, like you just mentioned, is so broad and far reaching and you'll get some of that in this interview where he talks about his new record, Exotica, and gives us a peek behind the curtain in terms of the concept and how it came together. Um, there are concept albums and there are concept albums. Mm -hmm. I do believe that this particular concept album, Exotica, which is out right now, um, is one of the most consistent and sticking to the script concept albums that rap has ever seen. Cause there's a lot of times like, um, for instance, the new Buster Rhymes, which I enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of got a little theme, right, pretty convoluted, right. but then right. he gets away from it and just does other songs and he kind of comes back to it. This new Fat Tony record, he stays in his character, not in character, but in this role of narrator um, top to bottom. And he also has, isn't there a written, kind of component to this project there is yeah like um i'm not sure um how that's being sent out but he emailed it to me and it's just basically like a little backstory on each song and how it was written and it was a there was a continuity to it i believe it, he was driving across the country and i think um that track with bun b like he mm -hmm. literally hit up bun b i think they might have been in jamaica yeah they were the, right? he, he touches on that in the interview um apparently so dope. golden eye is is lives in Jamaica and they connected there. Great, great story, great guy. I think somebody whose musical taste and kind of whole vibe really goes with the dad bod, rap pod aesthetic. And so we, we, were, we were super juiced to have him back on the program. We were supposed to see him in real life. He was actually supposed to be coming right. to Oakland in mid-March, uh, right before Shelter in Place. So, um, Nate was gonna come out of the house. It was it was about to be a like a momentous that, occasion. That's wild. That's wild. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, I can't wait. I mean, obviously, I uh, can't wait for things to get back to normal. But so we can, you know, do things like meet up with Fat Tony on a Tuesday when he's in town um, to man. support him and his art. And you know, he's a friend of the program, and um, he keeps coming with great music, and he's just a great personality. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited that you guys had a chance to like chop it up with him. Absolutely. So this is our interview, episode 142, 
Fat Tony, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod back once again. Another flavorful interview with a return guest, somebody who came on the podcast uh, pre-COVID, chopped it up with us. We had a great time. We want to welcome back to the program Houston area rapper. Just dropped an album called Exotica, which we're going to talk a lot about. Fat Tony is back with What's us. How's it going, man? my favorite nerds what's good <laughs> we're good we're good um what your interview last time we did this is one of my favorite interviews for the entire show um i just wow. like yeah um, and wake up is um an excellent record as well i don't know if you heard it but i referenced it in a segment we did about mozzie's last record and I, I, I did hear that, actually. I, I had to admit I wasn't feeling the mozzie so much, and I had to listen to some Fat Tony as a palate cleanser. Uh, because, hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> my, <laughs> anytime you need originality, my music is here for you. Yeah. It just, it just you rap about subjects that I can identify with. The, the particular thing was you kind of rapped about how having a dinner party is kind of a pain in the ass because you have to oh, yes. get up and deal with people and stuff. And, like, that's my life. That, that's, like, you know, like drug beefs and murder is just not my deal dinner parties is my deal so anyway i really appreciate your music and your just your presence hey man more drug beef and murder for the rest of us <laughs> i'm saying nate work on it for 2021 brother and so that brings us to your new album which was in the works at the time of our last interview but is now out in the world it's called exotica and it is a collection of story songs which i don't know if i saw coming but I'm so intrigued to talk to you about how you arrived at that as a theme and how you went about carrying it through. Well, with this album, me and the producer Goldeneye wanted to try something special. Just to backtrack, Goldeneye is my longtime producer, right? Formerly known as Tom Cruise, C-R-U-Z, no relation to the other nigga. <laughs> Goldeneye produced my albums, Gab, Double Dragon, Smart Ass Black Boy, half of the McGregor Park album, a song on 10,000 Hours. So through and through, since I started making music in a kind of serious fashion, end of high school, beginning of college, I've been working with him. And this album is our first full-length project we've done together since 2013, Smart Ass Black Boy. And we had been talking about making this album for years now not fully as what it is today, but the ideas of, you know, let's let's try a little 60s French pop influence. Let's try a lot of storytelling. Let's, let's get away from the autobiographical stuff since I was covering a lot of that on my last two albums. Mm. And we were just never, first of all, we don't live in the same place. For, for one, I live in, in the US, he lives in uh, Kingston, Jamaica. So that's a big difference. You know, that is, that is one of the reasons 
that we hadn't had time to really sit down together. He had also had his first kid in the last five years since we made our last album. You know what I mean? So we, we had mm -hmm. all these factors kind of preventing us from making it the way that we wanted to, and we didn't want to half-ass it. We didn't want to send music back and forth. We want to get in the room, write together, you know, pick out the beats together, like do the full project from start to finish in the same room as each other. And we finally got that opportunity last year. He came to Brooklyn where I was living at the time and we spent a week writing the album at Still Tip Dove Studio. And our writing sessions were mostly just us sitting together and really breaking down what the concepts were, what the characters were gonna be, like really talking it through. More time spent on talking about what the songs are gonna be than actually sitting down tinkering with beats, writing the lyrics. Because once the concepts were laid and finalized, that's when we could actually go in there and then, you know, deliver everything else that the record needed. With, without that, we're kind of shooting in the dark, just like seeing what's going to fit. And we didn't feel like that approach would be beneficial to the record that we wanted to make, which is all about craftsmanship and detail. Feel free to disagree with this, but your description to me just sounded a little bit more like breaking a season of a TV show, sure. like a like a high maintenance or something like that, where like you're you kind of got your writers' room together. It was you and Goldeneye, and you had to figure out how the stories were gonna were gonna go and how they were gonna fit together before you could like let's say cast a part. You don't know who these people are yet, um, so I think that's a a really interesting approach. At, at that point, had you decided on the story format or was it still up, up TBD? It was TBD far as like whether I'm going to be the narrator or play a role in each song. We kind of let that come naturally as we landed on a concept that we liked. Like when we were writing Gambit Man, from the onset, we both knew that I was going to be telling the story of this guy. I wouldn't be the Gambit Man. Okay. Whereas in songs like Feeling Groovy, I'm speaking from first person as the main guy right. or an intimate, you know what I mean? Yeah. Other songs where I'm more of the narrator are the opening track, What Wake You Up featuring Bun B or Genesee Qua. You know, those are songs where you see me really describing the imagery of what's happening versus me saying, hey, this is what's happening right in front of me. And um, I think you're right on the money thinking about like, TV series and how that writing works because we were referencing a lot of our favorite TV series, movies, mm -hmm. novels, children's movies, just just anything that came to mind that felt like the storytelling was effective in a way that was classic. Like think of storytelling in the tradition of African griots where storytelling is a means of like preserving history or imparting wisdom upon somebody or giving somebody game or just something to entertain people. Like we wanted all of these songs to be, if you broke them down to their bare essentials, someone could just tell you what's happening in a song like Jeremy Bixby and the story alone would be fascinating. And even musically, we wanted to make songs that were musical and interesting in a way that if you stripped away everything, you could play these songs on the bare essential instruments on an acoustic guitar and a drum and, and they would be just as effective as hearing the full version of the songs that yeah that's that's super interesting thanks for giving us kind of a window into the 
creation of that. I want to dig a little bit deeper on uh, Gambling Man, which uh, the video is out right now. It's a, it's a really dope video. And I listened to it and watched the video and thought, I don't know if we've ever had a rap song dedicated solely to like a real degenerate gambler. Like, like it was, it just struck me the <laughs> subject matter. So I'm wondering like, where did that, what is the inspiration for that number one? And then number two, um, who was kind of the mastermind behind the video, which um, I think kind of perfectly illustrates the story that you're talking about, but in a way that again, is not typical for rap. So Gowner Man was the first song in our week of writing sessions where we felt like it really clicked. Like the first day or two, it wasn't fully gelling right because we hadn't worked together in so long. Like, like I personally at least felt a bit at a loss when I was looking for ideas. But it was about the third day, I think, when we wrote Gambler Man and we came into the studio, started working on it, and instantly everything fell into place. Like the beat fell into place, all the lyrics fell into place. We knew where this character wanted to go. And what really inspired me for that song is this Merle Haggard song called Jimmy the Broom, which is about a guy who's a bit of a drifter who has relocated to Reno from somewhere unknown and he's a janitor and he drinks and he hangs out and just seems kind of like an aimless guy but not a bad guy someone that is friendly that people like and he passes away and Merle Haggard singing about how when it was time to bury this guy they didn't know what to call him they only knew him as his nickname Jimmy the Broom they didn't know his family didn't know his story they, they just knew that he left some sort of hardship and was now living in Reno. And I was just imagining a man, a middle-aged man or a man in his 60s, early 70s, who is in somewhere that's the desert and he is alone everywhere he goes. There, there's a sense of loneliness that just follows him even when he's smiling. And it kind of reminded me of guys that I would see just around my hometown at local corner stores who are always in the corner store playing the video slot machine. And they're totally harmless, they're friendly, but, but they're there and you know that there's some type of pain or something that they're coping with in their life. You can just read it on their face. And that's the type of character that we wanted to put into the Gannaman song. As far as the video, me and the producer Goldeneye came up with the concept and I worked with this filmmaker named Milkweed to make the video. You know, all the casting was with just, you know, friends and friends of friends. You know, everybody in that video is a non-actor, but when I saw the guy that we picked to play Johnny the Gannerman, he just fitted perfectly. I knew it was him from the moment I saw him and and he had no acting experience from what I gathered, but I could just tell with his lived experiences, he probably understood this guy that I was talking about. Uh, yeah, such such a good video and, and, and your kind of framing it is, is really great. Who made the call about having you be part of a mariachi band? Was, how did that fall into the, into the, the making of that video? Well, we 
so so back when we we're making the album right we're mm -hmm. thinking about interesting musical influences that we could put into this record and one sound that i really loved was an accordion for about a year before we even started making the album I was bugging Goldeneye. I was like, bro, we have to have a fucking accordion somewhere on this album. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just spoke to me. And it made me, it made me think about growing up in Houston, growing up in, in Texas and hearing, you know, Tejano and Polka and all these different sounds from the region where people use that instrument. It just felt like something other people weren't doing, right? Mm -hmm. And from using that, from going off that instrument, we kind of went down this this rabbit hole of mariachi music. Mm -hmm. And we thought it'd be cool to try to do like a mariachi remix of Gambling Man because we felt like the traditional sound of that music fits really well with the imagery and the storytelling of uh, Gambling yeah. Man. So kind of in one fell swoop, we decided to find a band that we could work with to make a mariachi remix of Gambling Man and also appear in the music video. And I wanted to dress as them to really show the audience that, that I'm the storyteller in, in, in this video. Like I'm not of Johnny's world. The way me and the mariachi mm -hmm. guys are positioned in that video, mm -hmm. we're like spirits. We never interact with Johnny. We only interact with you, the viewer, and walk you through this guy's life. Yeah. Ah. I, I have to interject myself here and thank you for bringing Merle Haggard into the world of dad bod rap pod. I grew up on Merle <laughs> Haggard's music and my parents listened to it all the time. And I don't know if you saw, Tony, that uh, Austin legend Jerry Jeff Walker passed away um, over the weekend. And this is, Damone will be so mad at me for talking about this on the show because we try to keep it hip hop. But since you're here and we need to be hospitable to our guests, we get to talk about a little bit of Outlaw Country, uh, which I appreciate the the... Uh, you know, just you bringing it up and that's a fascinating story and I'm never going to hear that song in the same way. And I think that's what's beautiful about these primary interviews where you, we get to see what's going on. And that's not the question. The question is this, your, your boy Goldeneye moves to Jamaica. So after the week in Steel Tips Dove studio, at some point you guys get back together, where better than his place in Jamaica, right? So please talk yeah. about how Jamaica ended up influencing the project. And if you want to segue into the Bun B story, which I believe has kind of been told in other places, but we'd, we'd love you to tell our audience if you, uh, just the, the kismet of that and the, the coincidence that you guys were able to collaborate. And I just have to say, I'm sure that meant a lot to you um, growing up where you grew up and making music the way you grew up. So it just like, I love that that all came together, but if you could tell us about it, please. Gladly, man. And, and just to backtrack a tad bit, I want to mention that that Mariachi remix of Gamla Man, for people that pre-ordered the vinyl, many of the pre-orders come with a scratch-off ticket. And the scratch-off oh. ticket will give you a download code to this Mariachi remix yeah. of Gamla Man. So That's if you amazing. have the album pre-orders and you got one of the limited ones with the scratch-off, you're, you're probably able to hear the song right now. And I hope you fuck with it. But for everybody else, the remix is going to come out in December. Okay. Right on. <laughs> but far as, far as Jamaica and Goldeneye and Bun B, I will do you one better. I will backtrack all the way, right? Okay. Let's so do it. back in 2007, when me and Goldeneye first met, he was in a rap group called Supreme. They were signed to Warner Brothers. 
And as part of their deal, he was going to come to Houston to work with Mike Dean to mix one of their singles, right? Okay. Now, Goldeneye is from Atlanta. His dad is Jamaican. He immigrated to the U.S. And his mom is American, and she's from Houston. So he had a whole side of family in Houston, which was kind of, you know, it just sweetened the deal that he was going to come work with Mike Dean and also get to see family. And this was also in December, right around the holidays. Perfect storm, right? Mm -hmm. So we're messaging on MySpace at this point, and we decide to link up. I'm on my way to my first recording session ever for this demo I had called a Love Life EP, right? The first session I was ever doing in like a real professional studio was the same night that GoldenEye comes to Houston. So mm. I decide, you know, what better place for us to first meet than him to come to the session. So I tell him that my mom is going to come pick him up. That's how young I am, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 17 or 18 at this point. And um, we, we go to pick him up and it turns out that where he's staying is two streets over from where I grew up. Wow. We get to mm. his grandmother's house and it turns out that his aunt is my little brother's school teacher and his mom and my mom know a lot of the same people. It's like, wow, this is fucking crazy, right? Mm. During, that, during that first night, we find out that Pimp C has passed away. Oh. And over the course of the next week, Goldeneye finds out that Mike Dean has canceled all of his sessions because him and Pimp C were close and he was in mourning, just didn't want to work then, understandably so. Sure. So he had all this free time and we start kicking it more. And that free time that he had led to us starting to make music together and freestyle and just hang out and just talk about music and all of our ideas and all the shit we want out of life. And from that trip, we decided to work together. Mm. So to be in Jamaica working on this album and end up getting Bun B on it really makes it a full circle thing of the UGK influence on our careers. Plus, you know, UGK is my favorite rap group of all time. So mm. it's, it's like, it's really a trip that, that their story kind of interacts with what's happened to us. Now, as far as us going to uh, Jamaica, Gold and I lived there and I felt like it would just be interesting to make an album there because it's a place where so much great music has been made, not just dance hall and reggae and other, you know, Jamaican music, but there are tons of pop groups and rock bands who have come out there to make albums. I think it's just a beautiful place with a rich musical history. And I wanted the land to really inspire me as an artist, not, not to inspire me to incorporate reggae or anything like that because that's kind of yeah. corny to me and super yeah. obvious but just to inspire me to be great and we rented a house out there in stony hill which i guess for lack of a better term i would com compare to like the hollywood hills in, in los angeles or something right big big houses lots of hills you know people who have done well in life and we rented a home studio up there that was just magical. Like the backyard was huge. There were a couple mm. of dogs on the on the property. The homes are kind of spaced apart. We were far from any commerce or stores. Like we were really in an area where all we could do is just work on music, zero distractions. Mm. And I think what inspired this process out of that is just having the space. You know, we would we would be in the studio 
10 to 12 hours a day, working on the songs, really trying to dial in the performances on all the vocals, changing up some of the writing on the fly. Like it just gave us space to be fully super creative. And I don't think we could have gotten the same thing if we were in Brooklyn or in Houston or in Los Angeles or anywhere else that we've lived because we'd want to see family, we want to see friends, we'd have all these other obligations. But here we could totally focus, especially me, because I don't even live there. You know, maybe Gold and I had a, had a few distractions, but I had none. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And I have to say, your the story about the rounding the circle with Pimp C and Bun B totally gave me the chills. Like what uh, what an amazing story and what a I'm real I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um I felt like me too, man. <laughs> straight up, me too, bro. It's yeah. I feel like there was a little bit of a nod to like a digital dance hall, like kind of like a mid-80s, like kind of like digital mm. rhythm thing on one of the tracks. I didn't write it down. Maybe on Special Girl or on or on the first track. Am I am I misreading that? You know what? Me and Golden are actually talking about this today. And I think something that we both really like are those stock sounds. Like those mm -hmm. kind of stock sounds that come with synths, especially the kind of sounds that like you associate with a lot of 80s music, 90s music, especially right. that like 80s digital dance hall sound. Yeah. We've always been really attracted to those sounds in all of our music. And I think that plus him being naturally Jamaican, yeah. it's just going to give off that effect no matter what we do. Even if we were trying to do something else that is just embedded in the music we make. Totally. Um, cool. I appreciate you bringing us there. But I wanted to talk about Jeremy Bixby. Um, on, my, on my first listen to the record, this is the song that really grabbed me. And I would just, I'm just going to say what I think is happening there. And then I'd love if you would fill us in on the backstory. It seems to me that the story in this song is, I can't exactly figure out who the narrator is, but basically it's like, it starts with this campaign t-shirt and then mm -hmm. you hear the story of the campaign and it's it's kind of a failed like quixotic political campaign it's it's a story about something that 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 didn't come together is that is that what i'm hearing that is right and okay. that voice that's on the chorus that is golden i sing in the chorus on that oh no oh, interesting okay that's super dope um i guess i don't i don't really have a question i just wanted to tell you that that was the song that really stood out to me and i think what what really stood out to me is that it's such a well-written story. It's like um, you, you get all the information that you need to have. And I wanted to ask you something, and I, I, I hope this comes off okay, but it seems to me like rather than focusing on like the, the most clever way to say something, you wanted to focus on conveying information and being a good narrator for this project. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yes, I want to impress you with the concepts, with the approach, mm. you know what I mean? It's not how I'm saying, it's what I'm saying, which is so bugged out. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I'm on my own nuts, but this album <laughs> is hella creative to me. You feel me? Like yes. that was one of the concepts during the writing sessions where, where me and him were like, bro, we're fucking genius. <laughs> like, we're, like, we're like sitting there because we, we just started talking about like, you know, vintage clothes and like thrifting, just having a conversation about it. And then we were like, yo, what if, 
what if there was a story behind the shirt that you see in the thrift store? Mm -hmm. Like, say you got to run to like the gym and like you, you don't have a spare shirt in your car. So you run into Goodwill to grab like a $5 shirt. And it's, it's a political campaign for this guy you never heard of, or maybe you heard of him a long time ago and kind of forgot what happened to him. And this is really the story of a goody two shoes guy who was told that he was the best his whole life. And he tries his hand at something and it's kind of clear the way that he rushes into it, that he's doing this just for vanity. He is doing it to be popular, to be liked, to get people to kiss his ass basically. And when it falls apart, rather than keep going, you know, it's, 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 it's his first campaign. Rather than keep going and keep pursuing this, he's instantly like, oh, to hell with this. And just becomes a bitter, jaded guy the rest of his life. And so many people have come across someone like that. Someone mm -hmm. who is just ultimately bitter at this one thing that happened to them back in the day and they just can't let it go. And rather than make a comment during the song about how I think this, this guy sucks or, or his heart was in the wrong place, I wanted to leave that up, up to the listener. And that song's really <laughs> interesting because people have told me what it means to them and it's always wildly different. I heard one person say what my intention was. I heard another person say that, oh, this song is just about how life doesn't work out and you, you know, they really did did this guy wrong and it just shows how you work hard and you can't all you can't always get what you want. And I'm just like, man, your interpretation is telling me more about you, bro. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you've you've followed this. It's kind of Twitter discourse that's annoying to talk about, but there's a whole uh -oh. thing in this world of like um there are gift kids from the gifted programs in elementary schools all over America who didn't turn out to be that special. I am one of these people. And it, it fills people <laughs> with a kind of um, ennui or a dissatisfaction. Like they, they got told they were special, but we can't, there's like hundreds of kids in these programs. You can't all be special, right? So the, the mm -hmm. way you framed it up the second time um, made me think that he's one of those kids that he was built up to be yes. special than he was. And that when he actually applied himself to do something, the fact that his um, expectation wasn't met set him down the wrong course. He didn't just dust himself off and try another campaign or go get a job or whatever. He was just like, fuck it, life is over. Jeremy Bixby is 100% one of those kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know if this is just guys, you know what at this point, but you have to get Jeremy Strong from Succession to play Jeremy Bixby in the video. I think you can make oh, it. Oh my god, that's a great <laughs> idea. Actually, I love that show and I can't wait for it to come back. I know. I don't know. I don't want to like break your heart, but they had they didn't even start filming before core, so it's going to be quite a I while. Know, to watch bro, I again. know. It's terrible. <laughs> I was I was thinking that too. I am this close to rewatching it. Yeah, I hear you. Um, and guys, I like just I just realized this. I'm in my office. I have my mic set up. I just realized this bitch ain't even plugged in. I've been talking to y'all on my AirPods this whole time. Oh, it's all I good. I was man. like, yo, I'm about to sound crisp in here. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, man. My bad. Oh, oh man, I got all, a very all good. Silky voice. All good, dude. We are we are in our Apple products as well. We gave up on trying to have the sound super perfect uh, about six months ago, but we appreciate the effort. <laughs> 
Um, Tony, what what else um, should we cover here? I think the the record is incredible. It's full of stories. People need to dig into it. You said this uh, what in what will turn out being off mic, but I want to reiterate it and kind of talk to you about it again. Did you craft it so that it would require multiple listens to catch everything? We're on like Nolan film levels of like, did that really happen? Like, I don't mm. think it can be inhaled in one sitting. It's quite short. I'm looking at the yeah, runtime. It's about 27 yeah. minutes, but I don't think in 27 minutes it can be fully appreciated. Was that intentional or is that just a result of the, the structure? That was absolutely intentional, not just in the music, but every bit of this project. If you notice in Gambling Man, there's the scratch off ticket motif. There's a scratch off ticket that comes with the album pre-orders for the mariachi remix of Gambling Man. There's the bartender using scratch off tickets in the feeling groovy video to kind of oh, allude wow. to what's coming with Gambling Man. The album art is so detailed, like a P-Funk album cover that, mm. that you can sit with and find more in the details of the art as you stare at the cover. The music is intricate with, with different things panned left and right and different instruments coming in and out. You know, the concepts like Jeremy Bixby give you a lot to think about. Like, we absolutely set out to give you a detailed album that was short enough for you to want to listen to mm. more than once in a day and really dig into it. And just something that'll last because I feel like so many people are focused on tricks in their music, focused on putting in plugins that make some type of effect and just fucking going effects crazy, but not really thinking about the concepts or the songs already art and we wanted to double down on that and that's why we spent so much time during those writing sessions just talking about the music and talking about everything talking about my like lyrics talking about the concepts talking about what we want to do in the beats picking out sounds you know just really trying to dial it in and make something that has a lasting effect because i think where personally just bored with where a lot of music is at like a lot of music is just stale and sounds the same and it ain't funky or interesting at all so we want to deliver that absolutely yeah. i think uh i think you guys did a good job of that this is a unique record and so i want to i encourage everybody to kind of engage with it um it does have a, a kind of a, a gritty cinematic vibe and i think um I think it's going to turn a lot of heads, man. I, I, I really feel like it's great to hear you talk about how it's new and, and it was intentionally made to be different, not to be consumed on a, a new release Friday and forever forgotten, um, which, is, which is very common right now. Um, we, we, know it's, we know it's quarantine time. It's kind of, you're not going to be hitting the road for this. Do you have any kind of live stream stuff coming up to, to promote the record? Definitely. I'm, I'm doing an outdoor show in Austin, Texas on November 6th at this venue called The Far Out, which I've heard a lot of really good things about the socially distanced outdoor shows that they've been doing. That's why I chose to do it because people I trust have told me that it's safe. And I'm doing a live stream show in December that I'll announce sooner or later. But um, man, I, and I just want to comment that we're super proud of this album. I'm more proud of this album than any creative project I've ever been involved in. 
okay. as an artist and as a writer, this album is really challenging to make. And I personally view it as a milestone in my career. I feel like this album unlocks the next chapter of me as Fat Tony, the artist. Okay. Wow. I'm just so glad to hear that. And like, I, I love it when people take a moment to, to realize like, um, like a, I guess I would call it like a valedictory moment. It's just like, damn, I, I did something. I just accomplished something. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're able to take that time. Um, and I must say, just from kind of following you on social media and we will like DM or like, you know, like, like a pic or something every once in a while, you seem to be handling uh, this time better than a lot of people. You seem like um, you're, you're making good use of your time and just, I, I, I don't know what else to say besides like, I'm happy for you, man. Like I, the, the fact you got to rap with Bun B, the fact you're proud of your work, like you should be, it's fucking awesome. So like, thank you for sharing it with us. Man, of course. And you know, I feel really lucky that we had this album to work on over quarantine. Like we had this, I did a live stream concert that I turned into a live album, live at no audience. And the fact that we had stuff to mix and to talk to a mastering engineer about and to get artwork made for and to come up with videos and get those done gave us a lot to keep us busy during quarantine and to look forward to. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And uh, man, far as far as Bun, Bun is a freaking rap god, man. Bun is somebody. I've, I first met Bun B, man. It, it must have been the same year I met Goldeneye. I met Bun B by chance in 2007 at a radio station. Uh, this, this excellent journalist, radio host, dude who worked for South by Southwest for a long time, Matt Sanzala, legend in uh, Texas rap music. He invited me to do my first interview on his radio show. And as I'm walking out, Bun is coming in to promote something. I think the Trill album or something. And um, I like took a pic with him and I was just blown away to meet him. And after that, I would run into him at different shows. And then when I put out my first album in 2010, Gad, he tweeted about it. And he tweeted wow. that I was Houston's best kept secret and tell Fat Tony that I told you. And <laughs> after that, I ran into him at a show and he invited me backstage and we smoked a blunt for a minute and then you know, took a pic and, and I was just like, wow, man, I can't believe this like, guy that I, I've admired for like so long. I just met him casually and it wasn't like he was pulling me aside to like work with me or right. to do anything. He was just, he just wanted to chop it up. I was like, yo, I like your music. And after that, we just kept in touch. I, he uh, guested on my 2012 mixtape, Double Dragon but that's a record that's not on streaming, which mm. has kind of been lost to time. You know, that was back in the day when we were all about that Piff and SoundCloud. So we had the mixtape up on that and it's on my Bandcamp now, but not on Spotify or like anything as of now. So this really feels like for all intents and purposes, the first time that me and Bun B have linked up on a song and I'm so glad that it's a song like this where it's a, it's about something and, and it has a purpose and we're playing a role on it where we're spitting game and we're giving you something to hold on to so you can keep on going rather than just making like a throwaway song with like some 
Texas motifs and they're shooting a video for it and just throwing it out and just being like, oh, check it out because it's me and Bun B. No, we wanted to make a song for y'all to check out because it's good and we were committed to giving you something interesting. Yeah, I, I just love that intentionality and, and appreciate you sharing sharing the backstories with us. Um, everybody listen to Exotica uh, several times. Um, we're not going to let you get a pass on this one. You got you to gotta absorb it. And then uh, tweet us, talk about it with us. Uh, Fat Tony, thank you so much. Thanks um, so much, man. Just love having you on and um, following your career. And um, just a pleasure, as always. Thanks a lot, y'all. Love coming on here. I love y'all fucking geeks, man. Y'all are y'all <laughs> y'all obsessed over music the way I do. So y'all will always be my people because that's the school of thought that I come from, even with, you know, a lot of a lot of this music that we champion, you know, us as fans, a lot of it is like the kind of shit that people dismiss as like being like whatever, because it's not all it's not always music that's of the canon or a critical darling, but we know that it's special. So it's really an honor that y'all invite me time and time again to come on the show. Yes, sir. You you be well, man. Appreciate it. Peace. Much love. Dad bod rap pod. That was our interview with fat Tony. We want to thank him again for coming on the program. Um, and exotica, his narrative, uh, rap concept album is out right now. Um, have you heard the mariachi remix of gambling? <laughs> Man, Dave? I have not. I have not. You um, need, you need to check that out. Really? Yes. Yes. Wow. I, okay. Okay. In the video for Gambling Man, which everybody should watch, it's a great video. Has kind of like a, a Better Call Saul feel. It's it's great. Dope. Okay. Um, okay. He is in full mariachi guard. Like wow. he's with the band. I mean, and while the the original song doesn't have so much of that sound in it, mm -hmm. he has a. He talks about in the interview. He has a a, a, a full remix, which I heard. Uh, which actually Shay Serrano um, uh, shared on Twitter last okay. week. That was, yeah. So shout out to Fat Tony, very forward thinking dope artist, and we'll probably have him back on the program before too long. But there are other new records uh, that have dropped. I think the most momentous big deal record of the moment is Buster Rhymes' Extinction Level Agenda 2, uh, right. which is like, I don't know, 17 years or something after the original, <laughs> which is, it's that's a wild sequel. It's almost just right. a reboot at that point. Uh, Dave, you had a chance to hear it. What are, what are your impressions, man? Um, you know what I did? Um, the thing is with Busta is like, he, he's so Busta. And, and what I mean by that is like, um, just listening to the record, it, it's hard to, it, you, you can't really discount it. I mean, it's full of merit. Um, Busta obviously can rap his fucking ass off. 
He's mm -hmm. brimming, brimming with presence. Um, some of the guest spots I think are really good. And I think having um, that many guest spots actually does the record a service because um, mm -hmm. I don't want to hear Busta do three 16s, dude. I want one yeah. 16, you know right. what I mean? And he, yeah. he it, it's a, it kind of confirms or affirms to me that he, he's always sort of um, more of a sprinter than a marathon guy. You know Ooh. what I mean? So that is a great analogy <laughs> that Usain Bolt right <laughs> and i mean and and who does a who has a bigger bolt like who who, yeah. who jolts the fucking track um he does mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. i mean but today i was listening to it while i was running um some errands and i literally had to skip like four tracks because he's fucking yelling at me dude i'm like dude go call um immortal technique and yell at each other because like I, i'm not really here for this you know but then then the next track will be the Kendrick one where it's, yeah. it's a little bit more softer and they're both just fucking wrapping their asses off. Um, so, I mean, so, uh, sort of, um, that was a, a long story long. Um, I think it's a great follow-up. I think it's a good album. It's just not for me. Interesting. And I think um, you, you are trending close to uh, Mr. Nate LeBlanc's take on the album. We talked a little bit about it on our IG Live. Uh, yeah. show which you should always watch on Fridays 5:30 PST on Instagram. Well that, um, that that's part of the reason why like um uh Nate and I we just have fucking like the same opinion on rap. So that that's why it gets a little bit boring I believe for symbiotic twinsies <laughs> Nate and Dave. Um, but um what were your thoughts on the album man? I know uh, you're a little bit more welcoming of uh Busta's rhymes. And, and and just and yelling in general you guys are anti-yelling <laughs> anti-singing um these are human expressions you guys <laughs> no i feel like um i was really blown away on that first listen um because we haven't heard buster rhymes in so long mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. there's a lot there to to kind of parse through he he does some really interesting things on this album uh, some of the tracks blend in like this kind of mixtapey way. Right, that, totally. That I haven't heard anybody do in in a long time. Um, he, like you said, he has great features. There's some great samples. Um, he samples BBD's Poison, uh, right, the intro right. to Poison, and just raps over it in a really interesting way that only Buster Rhymes could do. He is the only person in this genre that could do that. And right, then kind of right. flip it up and have a song with Rick Ross that's much more laid back and kind of the spiritual journey. I didn't understand he totally. was like for real with the Nation of Islam. Like I didn't understand that, but Jeez. that's for real. You're get you're getting some Farrakhan on this album. Uh, <laughs> you know, do with that what you will. But I felt like this album for me is a really like. I'll take it back. I saw Bad Boys Three in the theater. <laughs> which is not the best, like, it ain't a cinematic masterpiece at all, mm -hmm. but it's got big bankable stars yeah. and is entertaining. Like, right. the Busta Rhymes joint, this shit is just entertaining. Like, it's, yeah. it's annoying in spots. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Chris Rock um, yelling uh, rap skits. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a hard turn off for me. But uh, yeah, yeah this, this album definitely has its moments. And Apparently, I was reading, Busta is quoted as saying, he has more songs, more Dilla-produced songs. Right, I heard, I heard. That he has not, that he has yet to, to surface. So 
Um, it, it's a fun, it's a fun rap record. Um, and it's good to see somebody at that level still do something interesting. I was saying to Nate on our IG live, um, there is an interesting corollary, I think, between Busta and Snoop. I think what Snoop represents for, for rap in general, uh, Combat Jack famously said Snoop is the most beloved figure in rap uh, ever, and I'm, that's hard to, to deny. Um, I think Busta is the East Coast version of that. I think he is, he's, his, his personality, um, his artistry, his voice, are beloved like this album could have been trash and you would still be like ah but Busta's Busta right yeah well Busta is a little bit less of a cultural figure than Snoop Dogg oh for sure for sure but um you know I mean to 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 your point I mean uh Busta fans are gonna fucking love this because he gives you exactly he I mean he gives you the goods he gives you him right which is you know uh I think the Busta's biggest merit is um that he's uncanny no one fucking like him. You know what I mean? No. It's kind of like hearing Ghostface on a track. Nobody fucking sounds like this. You and know? you know so, immediately. You're like, oh, that's Buster. Up totally, top. totally, totally. So, I mean, I, I think I'm a little bit in the middle with, with this album. I definitely think some tracks are great. But it sort of, like I said, reaffirms my whole outlook towards Buster. It's just a little too much sometimes. I, I like uh, uh, Nate LeBlanc, who he and I kind of co-chair the dad by rap pod Twitter, his tweet about this album was, um, uh, oh my God, I'm blowing it. Sorry, Nate, when you edit this, uh, what is it? Oh, he called it endurance listening event two. <laughs> Damn, Seven, 17 tracks is a lot. It's definitely runs counter to, uh, to the current, uh, kind of rap, uh, you know, runtime and, yeah. and, and things, well, but I, I don't, I didn't, I actually didn't mind it. I thought it was a good look. I mean, since it was, since it had been so long, so long. you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, but besides that, I mean, that's the only reason I think if, if, the, if I were to change anything, I would probably just remove the, the whack guest verses and pretty much shorten every song and my, right. and, and omit all the yelling songs. And then I, then it'd be a fucking, and then awesome it'd be album. a cool EP. <laughs> it'd be a cool ass EP. It'd be but, like extinction. But real talk. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so that that's a, a new album that's percolating out there. Folks, a lot of folks are talking about. Um, what are we doing? We we are we are not only podcasters, we put things into the world. Oh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the homie Nate LeBlanc, who is not that's here. right. He that's is at right. an undisclosed bunker. Um, somewhere <laughs> in the hills awaiting the uh, the election results but he had a uh a piece a written piece he'd been working on for passion of the weiss for yes. legit like two years totally totally i think he was working on it before cut chemist's career began so i don't know i don't know how that <laughs> happened i don't know how that's possible but um yeah man it was really really good to finally fucking see it um i'm always trying to push Nate a little bit to write because I think he's a great writer and mm -hmm. um yeah man I mean we we were going through drafts and drafts of this and he had to yeah. edit and re-edit and you know the post-editing is where the magic happens when it comes to writing and mm -hmm. I think it turned out fucking great yes and, you know shout out to Jeff and Passion of the Weiss as, as usual um for for the platform and the outlet and um it's the be best rap blogger around so you know we're happy to be a part of it and I'm always happy to see 
Nate's uh, Nate get a byline. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Nate. Uh, his interview, it's, it's, it's more than an interview piece, but his extensive totally. piece on Cut Chemist is out now. You can check it out on Passion of the Weiss. Um, what, what pieces are you working on, man? What do you, what do you got in the can um, uh, I got a, coming soon? I got a couple things. Um, I, this week, I spoke to Tila Rock. Um, the legend, uh, Tila wow. Rock, obviously the, the, the guy behind It's Yours, um, yeah. the 45, um, hugely, hugely foundational. Um, Rick Rubin produced it. Uh, Jazzy J is on it. Um, so it, that piece is going to be for Passion of the Weiss. It's another making of piece. And um, okay. yeah, man, looking forward, um, looking forward to dropping that. Um, I, it turned out well. Tila Rock is, is just a walking history book. I mean, everybody he's talking about is literally, you know, Cool Modi and my brother, uh, Special K from The Treacherous Three. And right. just like everything's shrugs. And it's like, what the fuck? You're talking about Rick Rubin. You know, right. like, right. Um, oh, so I, I got that in the bag. That's, that's going to drop soon. Um, I got about six different things I'm working on for Wax Poetics. Okay. So ramping up pretty soon. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, my piece for uh, the Paris Review um is in the final stages so i think that's going to be dropping ah! soon that's with a uh, black thought so i've been talking about that for a minute so i'm happy to see that and um tomorrow i have a an interview scheduled with exhibit so hopefully Woo! hopefully um hopefully he doesn't flake and that comes through as well because you know i'm a fan and it'd be yeah. nice to just kind of talk to him I, and i he he has um uh, he has a great reputation for just being the nicest dude and kind of giving you what you want interview wise. So I'm looking forward to that, man. Um, can you in semi Nardwar war style, <laughs> ask him what he thinks about Denzel Curry. I will. Okay. When I hear Denzel Curry, I go, that's exhibit 2020. That's wild. Like there, you guys are like the same. That's like his son to me. <laughs> son, um, of exhibit, son of X. Yeah. That's, that's dope. Um, yep. Yo, but um, you and I had briefly touched a little bit about some some of your work. Um, talk a little bit about that, man. We we're gonna yeah. get uh, Dem One on on Wax. Yeah, man. Um, I'm really excited about this project. When I was a much younger man uh, back in 1995, <laughs> I had a rap group called Lackadaisical, which is myself, um, Traximilia, and Jesse Jones. If you're a frequent listener of the program, you've heard me talk about the group before. Our first EP entitled Shameless Self-Promotion is going to be re-released on vinyl, special edition, very limited run. Um, and it's my first time as an artist being on vinyl. It's like one of those kind of bucket list type of things, right? Yeah, like I think yeah. I may buy up like 50 of them just to have. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And it's kind of uh, a way to have a, a definitive document of, of what we did. I mean, mm -hmm. I've seen these tapes selling in different places for hundreds of bucks, which irritates me for different reasons. But totally. um, I was just glad to work with uh, Volga Records out of France. They reached out to me. Um, and so, yeah, so we're, we're kind of working on that piece. And it's been a real trip in the sense that um, I was asked to kind of dig up old photographs and stories. Mm -hmm. And so I've really been in that headspace of like 94, 95, what we were doing, like how, how that all came together. So um, excited about that, man. It's, it's gonna be more 2021 uh, release, but yeah, okay. excited about uh, bringing that to the world. That's 
fucking amazing, man. I'm I'm definitely gonna purchase that shit. I definitely want um, Dem One on my um, shelves. And um, but yeah, man. I mean, it's something to look forward to, given all the uh, political angst we're we're dealing with here. Oh right my now. god! Uh, 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 we'll see. Destruction. We'll see. Yeah. I live I live downtown San Jose, uh, in a whatever you want to call it, little urban hipster spot called San Pedro Square. And they are boarding up right. windows. Right, yeah. right. I mean, right. What, I mean what, is, what does that say? I mean, like most, most other countries when elections happen, I mean, uncontested elections, it's a celebratory right. thing. Should you be. know what I mean? Here fucking we're fucking, duck, yeah, we're fucking uh, ducking for cover. So yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, I don't know if you know that song, um, it's called Eve of Destruction. It's an old rock folky song. It's by um, Barry McGuire. Mm-hmm. I think the Turtles also like covered it, but okay yeah that it's just been playing on my head in like the, on the loop. in my head yeah we're on the eve of destruction tomorrow's tomorrow's fucking election day so hopefully not man uh we hope that when you're hearing this that we are still a functional democracy or whatever semi-dysfunctional democracy and uh that you know the will of the people has won the day um what is your somebody text me this earlier today what is your mental health plan for tomorrow? Well, so I, uh, you and I had talked a little about talked a little bit about this, um, but I, you know, uh, given my recent medical stuff, I can't drink. So <laughs> there goes my plans tomorrow. Uh, usually, <laughs> usually I drink myself into a stupor on every election, and um, I definitely remember the 2016 one very mm-hmm. starkly. Um, it was a, it was a celebration, then it quickly turned into a funeral. Yeah. Um, and I'm really hoping that doesn't happen tomorrow because um, I'm coming for I'm coming for Nate's bunker if if so. if that if that happens with the with the jug of orange juice uh, Jesus. um maybe maybe not um, I do have vivid memories of of the disappointment of uh, 2016 and and especially the day after right right um what are your plans for tomorrow I am thinking about if I can manage it of just completely shutting off the phone. Really? For like, you know, it's tough. I have kids, so I kind of have to be somewhat Mm -hmm. available, but I'm trying to figure out what's a way that I can um, be as detached from my phone as possible. Cause I I don't have a TV um, and I don't, I don't watch a lot of things, but uh, I will scroll the shit out of Twitter, like, and just get into a whole fucking stupor, all night scrolling, 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 um, looking at all these different takes and, and kind of, right. and, and while I do feel like there's good information out there and I, I enjoy people's analysis, it, it just revs you up in a particular way that I'm, as, as this has gotten closer and closer, I've kind of tried to take more of a step back from right. engaging with that shit. Cause it just gets me, it gives me this anxiety. I can't do anything. 100%. I yeah. I t- what am I going to do? I can't storm the uh, the White House. So, um, <laughs> I, I if I'm doing if I'm my best version of myself tomorrow night, Dave, I will have some wine, maybe some edibles, do some writing. Um, those would all be healthy exploits. Uh, what could happen is I break down at six thirty and just like scroll Twitter and clench my butt cheeks all night. Yep. So it's either or. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good to have uh, two options. Um, both both sound reasonable. I mean, fuck. What what else are we gonna do? Hopefully, this isn't the last uh, podcast transmission either. I mean, fuck. 
Uh, we will continue to bring you the dad bod rap pod, even through fascism. We are committed <laughs> to, to this endeavor. You might have to pick it up at an underground record store. Uh, I want to remind folks that the dad bod rap pod is available wherever you get your podcast content. Uh, we are on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, or the artist formerly known as Google Play. Uh, Dave, where, where can they connect with us on the socials? Um, you can, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're not really on Facebook, but if you search us, you'll see us there. Okay. I, I think our last post was 2018. To, <laughs> 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 but I, Facebook's a fucking wasteland. If you want to follow us, peep the, peep the Instagram. Um, Nate puts up his records and we put up um, a lot of our weekly graphics and it's just like another portal to kind of talk shit and, and shoot, shoot the shit. Um, and of course, Twitter. Um, I think Twitter is where it's at um, when it comes to social media anyways. Um, I'm most active on there and uh, we have a shared Dadbod Rap Pod account. And I think everybody should check that out because it's more of a, you know, we, we amplify things that we're into um, mm -hmm. on the Twitter and, and it's a really good community. Um, Absolutely. So. There it is, at Dadbod Rap Pod every Friday two out of the three of the dad bods will convene on instagram live 5 30 pacific standard time do about a little half hour program talk about the most recent episode as well as the happenings of that week that's been a real fun addition and something we look forward to every week and we invite you to come join us get in the chat talk your shit zillaraka be ripping on my outfit <laughs> um, i will i will avenge at some point <laughs> um all right dave well it's been a live episode good to have you back in the fold thank I'm you i'm going to give you the last word the last word is fuck donald trump dad bod rap pod